forgot one aspect of community and worship this morning. Um, we forgot to take up the offering. So we're sending S- Steve back to seminary to learn what church is really all about um, <laughs> until he sorts that out. Uh, he'll be on probation. So, uh, so Mark and, uh, and Co. Morning, Mark. Morning. Mark's, um, Mark's fit and ready to go this morning. He's having an ice cream at, um, at 9.30 for breakfast, so <laughs> he's, he's fueled. He's, fu- he's fueled up. His mouth's still dry from the ice cream. I'll write to um, streets and, um, and get them to sort that issue out. I just need a glass of water. Do you want a glass of water, Mark? Okay. Just trying to help. Um, oh, so it's, um, it's school holiday, so there's no kids' church in this morning. So if you do have children, um, they can hang out in here all as well. Um, if they um, start to, to um, get noisy or you feel like taking them for a walk or um, you get bored of what I'm talking about, um, give them a little squeeze, um, make them cry, and you can take them <laughs> gently, guys. Uh, you can, t- you can take, take them out. Rod has told me at length about what a joy it is to have children sometimes. Just, if you can just get them crying, you can get out of just about anything. So uh, it's all worth it, worth it in the end, isn't it? Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, team. Crack squadron. Wonderful. Uh, it's good to have you here this morning, each and every one of you. Thank you for bringing your, your body and the rest of you, your story. I, I, was, I just felt during worship, just kind of looking around, um, just to affirm the story that every person brings, um, the point of difference that you bring to our community and the, the beauty and ugliness <laughs> that, that, that comes with that. Um, the brokenness and the wholeness, um, what you have to offer, what you have to take. Um, your story actually really matters to God, and um, it's our stories combined that make this community, so it's really cool to have you. This morning we'll be talking about a bunch of stories. Who loved history in school? Yeah, awesome. Um, I met a history teacher this morning, so that's good. Um, two history teachers? Yeah, cool. Um, we should have a, we could have a history teach-off. That'd be great. Um, and we'll then suspend one of you. Uh, so, this morning we're going to do a bit of a history lesson. Uh, last week I started talking about the kingdom of God, and we're going to be going on a long and rambling series about the kingdom of God. It's one of my favorite um, topics in the world. In fact, um, it's, one, it's probably the thing that's kept me attached to Christianity, uh, and it's the thing that made me fall in love with Jesus um, more than just about anything else. So it's very close to my heart because it's very close to my faith story. So we're going to spend some time talking about it. And, and hopefully um, hopefully my, my, my dream for this and our dream as a leadership team is that, um, that you too will fall in love with the kingdom of God, um, that together we'll understand and outwork the kingdom of God. Uh, last week I talked about the beauty of the kingdom of God and it was kind of just a an intro into the idea, uh, and and for me, it's an entrance into the idea of the kingdom of God. I, I think that the best way of getting to grips with what the kingdom of God is, is by falling in love with it. 
I think that uh, for me, when I began to understand what the message um, of subversion and upside downness and generosity and grace and inclusion and diversity meant for myself and for all others who have felt um, separated and apart or marginalized or isolated at various times, what it means for people who are struggling in the day-to-day, um, that for me the, the, is where the beauty of the kingdom of God lies, that it's a message of not just waiting um, for heaven, but it's a message that subverts all systems and dominations and stories and turns us hopefully into a loving community that um, participates in what's closest to God's heart. So that uh, sentence there may have made no sense to you. Hopefully by the end of the series it does. Uh, it may not, but then as well, when that's, that's fine. Uh, I'm not very good at this. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the unexpected kingdom. Uh, this, this is a little extract from a book called uh, This Beautiful Mess by Rick McKinley. When Jesus was on earth, he painted a radical vision for his followers. He called it the kingdom of God. His kingdom is a heavenly reality that lands smack in the middle of everyday life. Even here, Jesus said, in the harshness and mess of, the, of earth, his kingdom is the way things really are. His announcement was nothing less than revolutionary. They longed for another world, a world without oppressors, injustice, beggars, or messes. For three years, Jesus walked among a people, overcome with longing, and spread the good news of his kingdom. And he said that his kingdom was already happening all around them. It is a historical scene that captures my heart. God and the flesh breaking into their world with healing spiritual authority and simple yet profound words. The kingdom of God is near, he said. The kingdom of God is within you. This week I want to start um, exploring why Jesus' kingdom announcement uh, was so unexpected um, and why, for quite a few people, it didn't take, even though it was the best news that anyone ever heard. Every Jew that Jesus was talking to was waiting and holding out for the kingdom of God. So my question is, why didn't they dance in their sandals and do a little, do a little jig um, when Jesus announced that the kingdom of God was here? Uh, amazingly, it's for some of the same reasons that we don't get the kingdom of God and for why um, some of the same reasons that we find it so hard to understand today. It's still surprisingly disturbing. Um, it's still upside down. It's still irresistibly beautiful today. Uh, but to really get to grips with it, we need to do a little bit of history. So this morning is going to be a little bit of a living history lesson, and we're going to need some imagination. Uh, my sources for this morning um, are a few books, which if you ever want to uh, do a little bit more digging in or study, I can, I can loan to you. Um, for this message, I've used um, Jews in the Time of Jesus by Stephen Wyland, who's a, um, a Jewish scholar um, who wrote a book um, for a Christian friend of his to try and explain from a Jewish perspective um, what first century Judaism was like. It's very good. Um, the Gospel of the Kingdom by um, George E. Ladd. Um, oh, should look after it better than that. Um, it's, a, it's a great little book in the 70s. Um, Everything Must Change by Brian McLaren. Uh, the Challenge of Jesus and Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. Um, and This Beautiful Mess by Rick McKinley. So there's quite a few sources um, going into this. If you want to do a little bit more digging, you're more than welcome to borrow one of them. Um, we're going to be in this series a while, so hey, do some reading. Um, so everyone 
who's been part of this community for a while knows that um, the prerequisite to using your imagination, um, as taught by Prophet SpongeBob, um, is, is arm, arm waving like this. So before we can actually really activate um, the imagination this morning, I'm going to need you all to do this. Everyone has to do it. It doesn't work. More noise, please. Very good. Um, Congratulations. With that, you're all Jews. So it's very exciting, isn't it? And you're Jews in the first century. So we've traveled back in time. I know. Uh, You look as excited as I am. Uh, so your first century Jews of all different shapes and sizes and kinds, um, we are going to have to ask all of the um, uncircumcised males to leave. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> Alternatively, you can imagine yourself as a circumcised male. But please don't imagine anyone else as a circumcised male, <laughs> as that's inappropriate. Those of you who are smiling, I'm now very concerned about. Right. Um, so, uh, we're in the first century. Uh, you're a Jew, and you live up here. Not literally up there. There's going to be a map appearing. It'll be impossible to live on a wall unless you're a spider. Ta-da! Um, this is your beautiful region. Um, there's Galilee up there. It's all very small, so sorry. Um, but I did tell you to bring telescopes in that um, text message I sent you. Um, Galilee, um, Jerusalem's down here, um, beautiful Jerusalem. Uh, there's Nazareth, um, where Jesus was, um, where Jesus grew up. Um, Mount Tabor, um, there's a Bible college up there somewhere. Uh, um, Bethsaida, um, there's a pool there that people jump into and get healed. So I do recommend you you, you visit it. Um, it might be a bit leppery, but still, it's it's lovely. Um, yeah, lot, lots of stuff. Mount Herman. <laughs> Great, now I'm going to call my kid Herman. Um, yeah, so, so even if it's a girl. So, so that's, that's, um, that's Israel at the time of Christ. So that's where you live. Um, to understand who you are, you're going to need a little bit of a history lesson about where you've been as a people. Um, you are very staunch about your nationality. Um, you have managed to stay a nation despite everyone else's best intentions. Um, and you're a very special, you're a very special people. Um, you are the chosen ones. If we flick to the next slide. Um, Abraham, your great, 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 great forefather uh, was a moon worshiper in Ur. Um, and some one day had a vision and he was selected by the one true God in a, in a nation that um, worshipped the moon and, all of, and a bunch of other gods. Um, one God showed up and said, I am the only God, and I'm choosing you. And he says this, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing bit of repetition there means it's important. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed throughout you. Light of the world, Yahweh would, oh sorry, that's actually the end of the quote there. Bless you. And then this is me now. Um, They they were the light of the world. Um, And Yahweh would reveal himself to all of the nations through this chosen family. So Abram um, had some children and then they had children. They had more children, very productive nation, the Jews, um, and lots of children. So 
there's not much to do in the deserts. So they had children. And, and that, that, that nation grew and grew and grew and grew. And then one day it became a kingdom. And this is all very exciting because... Um, um, this was sort of the fulfillment of the promise that um, Israel, who started off as a small family, the family of Abraham, um, went through a tumultuous history of um, oppression and getting caught in Egypt and then coming out and then um, breaking into this promised land that God gave them. And then, but you all know this, you're Jews, of course, <laughs> preaching to the choir here. Um, and, 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 then, and then one day they, they had a king just like every other kingdom. Um, and then suddenly they felt legitimized. They had, there, was a, there was a temple where they could worship God. They, um, they had the law that had been passed down from Moses. It was very important to them. They had um, the land that God had given them. Um, they had a king like everyone else, and they had massive armies that go and smash people. And and, and the, the the little seed of promise that um, that God gave to Abraham seemed to have come into into fruition. It was a kind of proud moment. Um, for a while there, it was anyway, until the Babylonians came um, and pummeled them into the earth and um, and took them into exile. Uh, they destroyed the temple and um, took their land, um, scattered the nation of Israel left, right, and center all over the place, took their best and brightest, um, and and, and um, tried to turn them into Babylonians. And so they had a kind of divide-and-conquer um, methodology, which has proven to be very effective across history. Uh, and, and, and Israel um, was... was all scattered and, and set apart and, and didn't really feel much like a nation anymore. But there's a faithful few who stuck it out, um, who stayed with Yahweh despite being persuaded and thrown into lion's dens and all kinds of things to try and worship other gods. Israel um, had such a strong sense of identity. Even in exile, they still believed that they were Israelites. So well done you. Um, you must be very proud of yourselves. You look, you look a little bit chuffed. Good, good. Um, and, and so um, a guy called Nehemiah um, managed to become a bit of a... Um, a bit of a who's who, a bit of a somebody, a bit of a um, I'm quite well known around here, I have many leather-bound books kind of guy, um, and, and had a little bit of political power and managed to um, get Israel together again and, and, and rebuild um, the city of Jerusalem and, and, um, and, and eventually a temple got rebuilt and they kind of managed to gather again, but Israel was never quite what it was under David and Solomon and Saul. It was never quite that kind of um, illustrious, large, um, world threat kind of kingdom ever again. Um, so the prophets said that they that the um, that Israel got scattered in the first place that the Babylonians crushed them and it was a ju- the judgment of God because they weren't looking after the weak and the poor and the marginalized and that they had turned away from Him because they didn't care um, and and they were supposed to be a nation that exemplified and, and showed the world what the character of God was and the prophets um, who were these crazy people who wore linen shorts and roamed around the desert and lay on their side naked and all kinds of things. Um, but but for, for Israel, they were the voice of God. And the prophets would come and said, you know, no wonder, no wonder Babylon um, struck you down. They were the, there was a judgment of God for not actually living up to what you were supposed to. You were supposed to reflect the character of God. You were supposed to um, see justice reign. But, you know, your judges were corrupt, and, um, and the rich got richer, and the poor got poorer. And I, um, God had tried to establish um, through the law these, these ideas like Jubilee, where um, every 50 years, all the land would be given back to those who originally owned it. So the sense of balancing equality, that no one got richer and richer, and no one got poorer and poorer, but every 50 years, the cycle kind of um, got refreshed and everyone stayed equal. Uh, that didn't happen. And so the prophets, the prophets said that the, the exile was a judgment of God because of, because of that. Uh, so 
you know, when Nehemiah got them back together, they, um, they, they, they kind of dwelled in the land again. They kind of rebuilt another temple eventually, but it wasn't as good as the last one. And God, the glory of God didn't really seem to be that present in it. And, um, and, and, and people were kind of following the law, but not really. And it was all a bit of a mess. So they were kind of, this is kind of where you are now. You're, you're a nation, um, but there's a few major problems. Your temple's not that great. Um, you're kind of in the land, but the problem is someone else is on the land. We'll talk about them in a minute. Um, and, and, and no one's really following the law quite like um, the scribes would like them to follow. So um, we're, we're, skipping, we're skipping over the next one here. Um, so, so what makes you a people is um, you're a people of the land. Um, that God promised you. You're the people of the law that God gave you, and you're people um, of the temple where you worship. And those are the three elements that um, that that make you central. We'll flick over the next slide. Um, there is, however, a hope that God will return the prophets, um, and we'll get someone. Has anyone got a Bible that would like to read Isaiah 61, verse one to eight? No, good. Um, could just me. That's fine. No, no, no. Well, I mean, we need a reading voice because I'm sick of mine. Would, would anyone like to read this morning? Short passage? Yeah, cool. Oh, you're going to need your reading glass. You can borrow mine. Uh, just one to eight. So good news for the oppressed. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. For the Lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities long ago destroyed. They will revive them, though they have, sorry, though they have been empty for many generations. Foreigners will be your servants. They will, be free, they will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will be fed with the treasures of the nations and will boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will inherit a double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. So, so this kind of prophecy is echoed throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, and a bit of Daniel. This idea that, um, that, that God is returning um, to rule over the earth once again. That what was lost in the Garden of Eden um, would be restored. That, um, that the earth is actually, even though it doesn't look like it, it is actually God's. And God is actually coming back to rule over it. And there will be justice, and there will be peace, and there will be um, a, a new sense of beauty. I'm just going to read from... Um, from George Ladd here. Here is the Old Testament perspective of the, of the prophetic future. The prophets look forward to a glorious day when God's kingdom will come, when God will set up his reign on earth. You will remember that we have discovered that the basic meaning of the kingdom of God is God's reign. In that day, when God sets up his reign, it will, di- it will displace all other reigns, all other kingdoms, and all other authorities. 
It will break the proud sovereignty of man manifested and the rule of nations, which have dominated the scene of the earthly history. So you, you'll be well familiar with the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the, uh, and the Romans and the, um, all, of, all of the other ones um, who, who have kind of set themselves up against God. God's reign, God's kingdom, God's rule will sweep away every opposing rule. God alone will be king in those days. In the Old Testament perspective, the coming of God's kingdom is viewed as a great single event, a mighty manifestation of God's power, which would sweep away the wicked kingdoms of human sovereignty and would fill all the earth with righteousness. Uh, this is a guy called Scott Higgins, who's a, um, he's actually from New South Wales. He's a Baptist pastor talking about um, the Old, Old, Old Testament view or the first century view of God's kingdom. That phrase, God's kingdom, is shorthand for what happens when God breaks into our lives and world. For centuries, the prophets had spoken of a time when God would break into our lives in a new way, when God would show us the type of people we're created to be, loving, gracious, strong, good, purposeful, when God would work in our hearts and minds to help us become um, the people we're created to be. They spoke of a time when God would break into our households in a new way, when God would lead us in crafting homes that are safe, nurturing, welcoming, and strong. The prophet spoke of a time when God would break into our communities in a new way, when God would help us shape communities that nurture our humanity, are equitable, are fair, are safe, and good. They spoke of a time when God would break into our world in a new way, when God would bring an end to violence and war and greed and poverty and exploitation, when God would shape a world marked by peace and respect and sufficiency for all. The prophet spoke of a time when God would break into our environment in a new way, when God would bring to an end, bring an end to natural disasters and disease and death, and when the Bible wants to sum up all these hopes into a single phrase, it uses and speaks of the kingdom of God. So through throughout all of Israel's struggle of being exiled, of being away from the law and being away from the temple and being away from the land and through all of these things, there's this prophetic hope rises up that God, that this is unfair, that they're God's chosen people and at the moment they're getting decimated and smashed. This prophetic hope rises up that God is going to unilaterally act and break back into the world in a new way. Um, and there's a few, there's a few ways of... Um, of, of, of looking at it and a few ways of describing it. Um, that they, they call, they kind of separated the world into two ages. This is the, this is the current age. Um, but, but coming is the age to come. Um, there's the old age and then there's the new age. There's the age of Satan and there's the age of the spirit, the age of water where all we have to drink is water, and the age of wine, um, which obviously is much better than water. Um, so you can imagine that, you know, they're talking about sort of reserve Merlots and Shiraz there, um, as opposed to water. So there's this kind of idea that what we've got at the moment is only a shadow of what it'll be like when God finally returns. There's, they didn't so much see a separation between um, the heavenly realm and earth, but a dislocation. That God is still present, but not active in the way that he one day will be. That the earth kind of sits under God's reign, but there's these um, other like false powers like, and empires um, and nations setting themselves up against Israel. And they're like currently like running amok um, and injustice and war and violence and all these things reign. Um, but one day God is going to come back and fix it all. Um, they, they, they saw this idea that... Um, 
that there will be a new material creation, that when Jesus, when Jesus, when the Messiah um, returns and, and announces the kingdom of God, that, that the heavenly realm where all things are well and good um, would be married in a new way to the material realm. Not that the material realm would be banished and would become like whee, little floaty spirits because that's called platonic dualism. And it's actually a terrible Greek idea. Um, but, but, that, but that there would be a renewing of the flesh, that, that all the material things would, be, um, would, would take on a new form and it would, would still be in bodies, um, but it would be in a new way where we couldn't be hurt and there wasn't pain, there wasn't tears and all these kind of things. There's this great joy looking forward to shalom, which is where nothing is broken and nothing missing. So you, you guys are in the first century. Um, things aren't going well for you, but you're holding on to the hope that, um, that God's going to send someone um, to sort all this stuff out. Um, and this Next slide um, is, is is the man called Messiah, who's the servant of the Lord. And there was kind of two ways, and there's kind of arguments about how um, he was going to come. One saw him as a kind of David, and the new David. Uh, a Davidic warrior king. So he was kind of a political entity that would rise up with a sword, rally Israel, um, smash all of the enemies, and then and then when when that happened, God would come and join in with with that and um and renew the heavens and the earth. And the other is kind of from um from the book of Daniel, where there's this idea of this kind of like super angel, which is really where I needed Ben in his wings. Um, it's kind of an intimidating, fierce, um, heavenly power. Um, angel guy that would come and like spiritually kind of just sweep everything out like chess pieces and 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 dominate for the um, the kingdom of god and then israel would be put at the top uh, and and the whole world would go oh god we got it wrong you guys are actually amazing uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Um, it's, it's, it was you all along. Here we were, like trying to kill you, and all along you were actually the most powerful, amazing, beautiful nation on, in, in the world. Um, and so, so there's this. Even though you're getting beaten, you're kind of confident too, because you're kind of hoping that God's coming back very soon. Uh, the, the 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 next question, unfortunately, is um is is how. How to make God act? How do we get? How do we? How do we get the Messiah here? Quick! How do we get the kingdom of God to come? So, um, a, a few messiahs actually popped up. Um, they, they've, they've it, historically they've found about fourteen different um, messiahs recorded. Unfortunately, the dirty Romans keep killing them. So, a, a dead messiah is not the real messiah because when messiah comes, the world will be turned upside down. So, a guy turns up and says, "I'm the messiah," and then the dirty Romans go, hey, "You're not," and squash him. Um, and then everyone else goes, "Oh, he wasn't the messiah after all." And and so and so we get to um, our next people group who are the Romans. Excellent. So we need the Romans. Um, now, the Romans brought with them a whole different story. So um, table of Romans. Um, yeah, I reckon this one here looks probably the most evil way I can see. Um, there you go. Yep. Um, you're going to wear, you're gonna need to wear that. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Um, a couple of togas here as well. Whoa, that is a big that that's a big toga. Yeah, uh, Mark, do you, how does this work? Excellent. Could you dress um? Could you dress Mark the other Mark and in, 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 in the toga? That'd be great. Um, does, does it involve this as well? Or is this a separate yeah, piece? Onto that. Oh, great! Please, please dress him up. Um, Mark with a hat on. Yeah, excellent. I mean, sorry, David. Sorry, I've got two marks on my head. It's very difficult to hold this much information. 
So while you're addressing him, I'll tell you all about um, this. So, um, so the Romans brought with them um, the peace of Rome. So they're a conquering empire. Now, if we flick over the slide, this is where the Romans live, <laughs> which is just about everywhere in the known world because they're a freaking big empire. Um, and they were going around destroying everybody and taking over. But very graciously, they invited them to share the kingdom of or the empire of Rome, which is beautiful. Um, everyone gets to partake in their roads and their aqueducts. There's a very funny scene in um, The Life of Brian about this. What have the Romans ever given us? There's the aqueducts. Um, so if you haven't seen The Life of Brian, you should really watch it, um, despite the disturbing amount of male nudity in it. Um, um, so unfortunately, the Romans live where you live at the moment. So they are the conquering empire, and your beautiful Israel has been taken over by these pagan barbarians um, who think that they're civilized. Uh, but they bring with them what's called Pax Romana, uh, which is the peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome is brilliant because everyone who lives inside the borders is, is great. Um, they're prosperous. They're safe. Um, they, they look beautiful. I mean, look at David. <laughs> You could all look like this if you if you lived brilliant if you lived in the peace of Rome. Um, so the slogan of Rome is "Enjoy our peace, or we'll crucify you," and that's kind of how brilliant. Excellent, you can have this. Brilliant, thank you. Well done, Mark. And you look beautiful. Um, so. Everyone, everyone, no, we'll, we'll flick over slides here. Um, they're taking over the world country by country, um, bringing the, the, the glorious peace of Rome with them. It's a new story for all people. And in this story, um, you can worship whatever God you want as long as you acknowledge that Caesar um, is Lord and he's king of all, he's the son of the gods. He's Lord of, Lord of all. Um, if you read his inauguration speech um, for Caesar Augustus, it's amazing what Caesar promises um, to bring to the nations that um, are crushed beneath them. The idea is not that they kill everybody. The idea is that they just make everybody um, as Roman as possible. Um, you can worship their gods. You can worship your own as well, as long as you make sure that Caesar um, is the Lord of all. You can already begin to see as Jews who worship the one and only God and don't worship any idols, you may be having a few problems here, which is why the Jews were particularly troublesome um, for the Romans. Um, all is well. Aren't you enjoying this peace? Uh, all is well for everybody, except for those who don't go with Rome. This is the new story. The Roman Empire was Jesus' original habitat and the dominant social reality in which he lived. Its framing story demanded ultimate submission. The empire could demand the submission because it could boast amazing successes, a system of roads and ports to facilitate commerce, urban planning that featured the unprecedented engineering advances like aqueducts, amphitheaters, and an economic system that provided a common currency and cultural system that spread Roman values through the Greek language. Driven by the kinds of narratives we consider in the previous chapter, the Roman Empire promised peace, security, and equity through domination. The Pax Romana recipe was elegantly simple, as it is for all empires. Concentrate the power of violence in one source, the emperor, 
literally the king of kings, the supreme king, who all regional kings defer and submit, decisively crush, crush any and all opposition to the emperor. Then unified under the emperor's supreme will, the empire will defeat its enemies and punish its criminals so that all will experience peace, equity, and prosperity. All that is, except for slaves and servants, who happen to make up 80% of the population, um, whose free and low-cost labor are essential for the empire's prosperity, and who therefore had no rights or next to no rights. You could be killed if you were a slave. Um, You could be raped. You could be um, beaten. If you were a slave, you had no rights. And then there were small farmers, as we've seen when taxes would rise to enhance the empire's prosperity, security, and equity systems, small farmers couldn't keep up. This is most of you. Most of you are being uh, uh, traditional landowners and farmers, um, and most of you can't keep up with the taxes. Um, fortunately, there were benevolent wealthy landowners nearby who were more than willing to pay the taxes to the empire in exchange for the title to the land. So congratulations, you just lost all your land. Beyond this kindness, the wealthy owners were even willing to let the small farmers stay on the land and keep farming it for their wealthy benefactors. The former small farmers, now tenant farmers, could keep a portion of the crops for themselves, maybe even enough to stay alive. Oh, that's lovely. Um, and of course, like tenant farmers, women would generally enjoy considerably less of the empire's prosperity than its first-class male citizens. After all, the woman's primary job was to bear as many sons as possible to be soldiers to protect the empire, and as many citizens as possible to enrich it through their work in taxes. Um, this duty was considerable because of the high infant mortality, high death rates of women in childbirth, and high losses of grown male children through warfare. The average girl in the Roman Empire had to marry by the age of 14. Some of you are already too late. Fairy cross. Caesar would not be happy. Um, and begin bearing children immediately. Simply to maintain the population, the empire depended on her to raise five children to adulthood on average. So please get started. Um, the empire benefited everyone except for slaves, servants, tenant farmers, and women. And perhaps we should add those who lived at the border of the empire. So McLaren goes on to explain that basically um, at the border of the empire, if you live on the border of the empire, you were basically the next to get taken over. Um, for those of you who didn't like getting taken over, you could fight the Roman Empire, but that was incredibly difficult because they had a very efficient army because all of you lovely ladies are producing so many beautiful soldier children. Um, thank you very much. So... Um, so basically there was war for everybody who lived on the outskirts. Um, often the neighbors wouldn't want to get taken over, so they'd try and, like, um, they'd try and steal some of the Roman goods, but, which basically meant that they'd try and steal your stuff, um, so you would die then as well. It's kind of a lose-lose. So unless you're a slave, a servant, a tenant farmer, a woman, or a border dweller, you had a great life of prosperity, unless, of course, um, full-scale wars broke out. And if a full-scale war broke out, the Roman army would then take every male here, um, circumcised or uncircumcised, um, and put you to, uh, put, put you to work um, soldiering. So that's quite exciting for you, isn't it? You excited about that? Great. Uh, and you, you also weren't, get, weren't given any tax breaks. So the peace of Rome was brilliant because it made everybody rich and everybody prosperous prosperous and everybody um, at peace, except for most of everybody, which is most of you guys. As Jews, you weren't very happy about, um, about announcing that Caesar was Lord of all. So this didn't really work out for you that well. Your temple was run by um, a corrupt bunch of um, 
guys called the Sadducees. Uh, and so you didn't really hold your temple anymore. The law wasn't being followed pop- properly and your land was invaded. The three central things to making you who you were were disturbed. So you can see why you were so eagerly itching for God to come and set all this right. If your framing story is we're the chosen ones and the most powerful God is on our side, it's difficult to say that with any kind of confidence when you're getting your butt kicked and are starving to death. It's really hard to say that God is the Lord of all when in every area the things that make you God's people are under attack. And so what rose up within you were these ideas and answers and framing stories, new stories about how we could get God to act. And so we're going to go through a few of them now. So first up, we have the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees, um, their motto was this. Um, I need some Sadducees. Who looks like the kind of like, ka-ching, Rich, this table here. You guys are the Sadducees. Um, so you get a, you get a, you can, you can put this one on. It's a beard and it changes around your ears. So other people are going to get beards as well, but none as mighty or as fine as yours because you're very, very important. You're also very, very rich. I know. This is the kind of money. This is, that is, you should keep that. That's excellent. So you guys, thank you very much, are incredibly rich. There you go. Enjoy some, enjoy some money on us. Um, you're rich because you work in with Rome. So Rome says, um, this is um, Caesar Augustus here. Enjoy a piece or we'll crucify you. Um, Rome says, you can run our temple as long as you keep everybody in line. Um, and what you'll get for running the temple is a bunch of money because everyone has to pay temple tax. Now you're going to hike temple tax up higher and higher and higher because now it's kind of a bit more of a business and you don't really care about God after all. So um, your motto is this. This is your placard. Everything is fine, and don't forget to pay your temple tax. So you've got all these upstarts who are trying to overthrow Rome, and you're going, are you kidding me? Why would you overthrow Rome? Why would you overthrow the empire? Everything's working fine. Look, we're beautifully dressed. I've got a fancy beard. I run the temple. I'm very important. Everyone knows who I am. There's no way we're going to stand up against Rome. This is the kingdom of God. Through Caesar, you've brought the kingdom of God. We're happy. We're fine. I had a conversation with someone once about some of the kids I was working with. He sort of asked what I did for a job, and I said I worked with a bunch of young people, and lots of them were kind of at risk and um, struggled with poverty and this and that. And I told them, you know, as we chatted, I told them some of the stories of the kids I was working with and how hard life was for them. And he lived in the same city as me of 120,000. He's like, do we have poor people? This can easily happen. When you're on the upside of the empire, everything's fine. What's the problem? When you're on the underside of the empire, things look very different. So next we're going to go to our Essenes. So the Essenes, um, their policy was this. Look at these guys. They're corrupt bastards. Look at this guy. This guy, he's going to try and crucify us. This place is way too messy. We are going camping. So, who looks like they were cowardly and would run away? Which table? Honestly, though, tell me, who, who thinks that camping's a good idea right now? Can we have a, at least one honest table? Okay, this one here. Excellent. I knew it. There you go. So, um, this, is your, this is your tent. It's actually a chair because 
you don't get a 10. You do get a home cooker, though, so that's good. Um, and this is your motto. Run away! Um, this place is too messy. Let's start again. So the Essenes idea was there's no way we could see the kingdom of God at work here in this mess. Look at it. It's completely overrun. If we run to the desert and we start a new community and start again, God will meet us there. But there's no way he can do anything in here. That guy is too powerful. He's going to crucify us. These guys are too corrupt. I've got our temple, but they're only using it to make money. This is ridiculous. Let's go away and start again. We need to escape this mess. Now, you can kind of see the logic in this, can't you? Just like you can kind of see for the the Sadducees, if you're on the upside of the empire and everything's fine, you can kind of see why they go along with Rome. It's a little bit like how we go along with empires sometimes. For the Essenes, you can understand the brokenness and mess that you're faced with. Trying to see the kingdom of God come in the middle of this is incredibly difficult. Why not go to the desert where you can be pure and set apart and start a new kind of community out there? Now, that's good if you can do that. But there's a difficulty if you can't. If you're a tenant farmer, if you don't have resources to take with you, if you can't brave the desert, if you've got family, if you've got elderly parents who won't survive out in a desert community, this story doesn't work for you. The next group of people were the zealots. Um, the zealots, now these, these are ahistorical weapons. I could only find pirates, pirate swords, which I'm a bit disappointed with. But I did find, manage to find some, some chest here, so that's good. So <laughs> the zealots... Um, Where's a freaking angry-looking table? Yeah, this one here. Look at them. They look positively furious. Um, yeah, so you get a sword. You get a sword. You want You're going to have to undo some buttons. He's already got real hair. I don't have any. You don't have it. Okay. But you've got a T-shirt on. We're not even going to be able to see it. I'm sorry. You, you get the chest here. You're in charge. Excellent. You can hold the sign. So the, the, zealots, the zealots were this. They, they believe in, a, in the Davidic warrior king. Um, a few years ago, a guy called Judas Maccabeus called the Hammer. <laughs> what a great name. He had a war hammer. And basically someone, some um, Sucloid, I can't even pronounce it, um, king um, or warrior came in and desecrated the temple by bringing a pig into it, which is not, not kosher. Um, literally not kosher. And, 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 and he basically came into the temple and said, you, don't, you guys don't even have a god. Because everyone else had idols. He's like, where is your God? And the Jews are like, uh, in heaven? He's like, Then Judas Maccabeus, who was the son of one of the priests, got really, really annoyed um, and basically got his hammer um, and came with his little army and absolutely kicked the butts of this much bigger army. Um, He eventually got crushed. But that kind of set the precedent for this idea that the Messiah was going to come with swords and hammers and then God would join in with this Messiah. So the the zealot's idea was be violent. Go on, you know you want to stab someone. Wow, I actually put out a light with that. That's That's how forceful that message is. So the zealots, can we have a rawr? That was really good. 
I'm going to stay over here for a little bit. So the zealots would go around stabbing Roman soldiers. So they would go up to um, Scarlet there, and Scarlet would be keeping the peace in the town, and they'd go up with a hidden dagger in their beautiful robes, and they'd go, and they'd stab Scarlet, and she would die. I know, it's terrible. Um, yeah, and they're all happy about that um, because they've taken, down, they've taken down one of the Roman soldiers. And then eventually they were going to rally all of you guys. Aren't we excited? We're all going to pick up swords, and we're going to crush the Roman army. Um, <laughs> some of you don't look that confident about that, which is probably right because, the, yeah, it didn't work out too well in the end. But this, these were the zealots. Their story was God is a, a, God is a violent God. So why don't we stand up for ourselves and stop taking this compromise and kill these guys because they're maggots, these guys. They, oh, what I do to them. Um, why, don't we, why don't we smash them and take over and then God would join and the kingdom of God would come and that would be brilliant. Um, and then you've got the Pharisees and these are the ones who are mentioned a heck of a lot. So um, we need to be very careful with this because it's a church Bible, but the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. Across Israel's history, when Israel disobeyed the law, they were judged. And this is what the prophet said. And so the Pharisees' idea was that the reason God is not here, the reason the Romans are in our land, the reason our temple is really patu, the reason, that's, a, that's Kiwi for um, not very good, the reason for... Um, the reason for everything going wrong is because we're not obeying the law right. So what we'll do is we'll take the law that we know and we'll keep it even better than the law. Who looks really legalistic? I reckon this back table down here. You guys, you guys are the legalistic ones. You can just tell. There you go. You can have the massive Bible. Um, you get a beard. You get a beard. You can have a beard. Okay. So don your beards, please. <laughs> Excellent. So this is their logo. Be pure and don't forget to tithe on your mint. Um, the, the Pharisees' idea was that, that the, if the law was there, if we overkept the law, things would be even better um, and God would come back. So God responds to purity. And so their whole um, message and motto was let's do everything a little bit better. So if God said tithe on your harvest, they would tithe on their mint and their thyme and I suppose even their coriander if they were Vietnamese. Um, and so they would, they would go to the nth degree. So they created all these elaborate laws around, uh, around the Sabbath that would please God. So you couldn't work on the Sabbath, but who even knows what work is? So what if plucking a hair in your beard wasn't just manicuring, what if it was harvesting here? That would upset God. So don't pluck hairs on your beard on a Sabbath. But what if you can't resist the temptation? I know what it's like to have a gray hair. And you walk past a mirror or a shiny object. You might see the gray hair and just really want to pluck it, which would make God furious. <laughs> Oh, get the belt out. Mm, smiting. Yeah, because that's what God's all about. So they said, don't walk past a mirror or a shiny object on the Sabbath, just in case you see a gray hair and want to pluck it out. 
and harvest a hair, which would bring the wrath of God, and Messiah would never come back. Good one, guys. So there, I mean, caricatures are dangerous because in every group, there's probably good people with good intentions, but power is incredibly dangerous. So the more people started to listen to these guys, the more rules they came up with until their laws began to crush the people. There's a story where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath and the Pharisees get just furious about him working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, you've missed the point of the law. The law is there for the people to help them. And you've gone and made it about something else. So the Pharisees are pure. So here we've got the Romans. Enjoy our peace or we'll crucify you. The Sadducees, everything's fine. And don't forget to pay your temple tax. The violent zealots, be violent. Go on, you know you want to stab someone. Um, we've got the Sadducees, um, oh, sorry, the Essenes, run away. Um, this place is too messy, let's start again. And you've got the Pharisees, tithe on your mint, God is watching. So they've all got a story for what's going to bring the kingdom. Next slide. Outside of all of these sects in the Romans are what's called the marginalized. This culture was very, very strong on clean and unclean and on purity. On the outside of society were the people who were shunned for their actions, such as the prostitutes and all the other immoral. So, table of prostitutes. Here we go. And man, brilliant. Um, they're dresses, guys. You know what they are. Don't. What is this? I've never worn one before. You've done drama. I've seen you on a Friday. Excellent. So while the guys are donning their dresses and just getting a glass of water, you can stand up. It'll make it easier for people to see. So <laughs> Sam's struggling. He's pretending to not know <laughs> how to get it to fit exactly right. <laughs> it actually clashes with his pants is what it's really disturbed about. Um, so as you can see, Matt's going out of business. <laughs> Economic downturn. <laughs> really struggling there. Uh, Sam, yeah, well, he's better at having his clothes off and on. Okay, right. Excellent. So if you can stand up too, Matt, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay, so, and sit down. So, so no one talks to these people, um, except for, of course, their clients. Um, and it's, <laughs> thank you, Anna. And I mean, look at them. Look at them. They're immoral, they're evil, they're detestable people. The Pharisees are hissing, hiss, hiss, hissing at them. <laughs> because it's these people that's stopping God from coming back with their immorality and these people who are compromising who are stopping God from coming back and then there's even worse this table of lepers and the only reason you've got leprosy is because you or your parents sinned you guys are blind you're lame. I'm going to stay away from you just in case. 
some of it rubs off. Speaking of Mental Health Awareness Week, this table here, they're not mentally ill. They're possessed. And so we're going to send them to the outskirts where they can do damage to themselves but nobody else so they don't corrupt the rest of us. But what you don't see, or what wasn't acknowledged, was these two weren't prostitutes because that's the life they chose. There's no social welfare. If you get kicked out of your home, if your parents die, you survive by any means possible. There's something happening here called systematic injustice. That in this empire of prosperity and greatness, it suits some people incredibly well as long as you're on the good side. But for everybody else, it gets cast out further and further and further into brokenness. God is not with you, says the Pharisees. God is not with you, says the Pharisees. God is already here, says you. God's with the violent, says you. Run away. God's out there, says someone else. But none of these seem to be bringing Messiah. The big question is, where's God in the middle of all of this? For the poor and the struggling and the overtaxed and the abandoned, for the widows and the orphans, for the collaborators, for the lepers and the lame, the possessed and the other sinners, for the Samaritan half-castes and for the foreigners in the land. You're all on the outside. Even a little bit of goodness that's going around, you don't get to taste in, you don't get to share, because even if God did come back, he doesn't care about you. You guys, when Messiah does come back, are straight out. You're gone. Because of your lifestyle and your sin and your junk and your rubbish, it's, it's your fault that we're, that we're in this position in the first place. Not to mention you blind guys and you lepers and you lame and you mentally ill or demon-possessed. When the kingdom comes, you guys are out. And these guys are in. So the question is this. Why was Jesus' announcement so unexpected? Look over the slide here. Jesus is a 30-year-old carpenter from Galilee. I was going to read you his inaugural address, which is in Luke. Luke records this very deliberately um, and lines it up with the very kind of statement that Caesar Augustus would make about himself when he was crowned. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, that they will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor or the kingdom of God has come. He's quoting Isaiah. He goes around. Um, He performs some miracles. His first miracle, he turned water into wine. What a crazy party trick. Why would that be your first miracle? Well, there's good reasons. Because <laughs> a wedding is so much better with wine. But remember back to the sayings of the day. This is the age of water. Coming is the age of wine. It wasn't just a miracle. It was a symbol. It was a sign pointing to somewhere. 
He calls together some followers. He heals some people. He hangs out with prostitutes and lepers and makes well the demon-possessed and the mentally ill. And the closer you study his actions, there's signs and signs and signs and signs and signs pointing. And then he says something incredibly strange. The kingdom of God is here. Now, this is unexpected. Why? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you agree with him from what we've talked about this morning? Why? What were you expecting? Anyone? A warlord. What were you? What else were you expecting? <laughs> Someone who upheld the law in the way that you wanted to see it. What else were you expecting? The complete renewal of the heavens and the earth. What else were you expecting? That Israel would be put to the top and everyone else would be trampled down. What else were you expecting? That these guys would get kicked out. And what happened? He dined with you. He healed you. Little pockets of healing and hope and the foretold future popped up. But it wasn't what was expected. We're going to end there because this is a long series and we've got a bit of time to talk about the implications of this soon. But what I want us to go away thinking about this week is why the kingdom of God might seem unexpected to us. Where are the overlaps with their time and our time? Where are the overlaps with the stories of these different sects? Where are we Sadducees? Where are we Essenes? Where are we Pharisees? Where are we the Roman Empire? Where are we Zealots? And maybe next, um, not next week because it's the picnic, but the week after, we could spend a little bit of time talking about where we identify ourselves in each of these groups and how that might actually make us resist the kingdom of God ourselves. And it might still be incredibly unexpected. But we're just going to do a little bit of symbolism here. (laughs) Experience a little symbolism and participate in it. On your tables is communion. The kingdom that Jesus announced will later learn, foresaw, Romans eating with Pharisees and zealots. It saw prostitutes eating with Sadducees and with the blind. It saw all kinds of people from all kinds of places united around the true king who was full of grace and mercy and compassion. And it would, rather than creating a new level of purity in an exclusionary sense, It will be an inclusive kingdom that would call all people to repent from their way of living and participate in a whole brand new way. And this one is want us to catch a glimpse of that. Um, It's been a whirlwind history tour, I know, lots of gaps in it. But hopefully something in it has begun to give you an idea of why the kingdom might be resisted. But also hopefully something in it would begin to give you a bit of hope 
for why the kingdom is incredibly beautiful and unexpected and upside down and empire resisting. Let's eat and drink together. I'm going to eat with the Sadducees because I've got the money. Let's eat and drink together. Even if you hate the people on the table next to you because they're compromises. Jesus, we thank you for your kingdom announcement. As we sit today, we'll stand and eat together with people unlike us. We thank you that your kingdom is in our midst. And pray that you would help us to learn to see it with fresh eyes. Amen. Thanks so much, Shane. Let's um, let's just uh, honour Shane this morning. Beautiful. Let's uh, stand and we'll uh, close with the benediction this morning with the good word. Let's just uh, adopt a posture of, uh, of reception. Loving Father, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers, feeding us with your word, and encouraging us in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and serve you and all people in the power of your spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.